Good evening, welcome again. Nice to have you here. So we're discussing a little bit about Jiva Tattva from the Bhagavad Gita, and we were explaining last night that the insights that are provided for us from the Gita, there's a methodology to them, and this is a kind of a subjective uh, discipline that we, that we call sadhana, spiritual practice. Mm-hmm by which we can arrive at uh, these insights, and that this methodology is, is different than the way people today often think we arrive at knowledge, which is by some objective process of measuring in a controlled environment and collecting data and arriving at, a, at an objective uh, fact that you and I and somebody else can all agree upon. Hmm? rather than subjective. I think, I feel, it's like this. Hmm? But this is an I think and I feel, it's like, what can I say? <laughs> I can't talk about it. Something like that. Uh, the experience, that is, of the Atma, in terms of how it's being uh, described here. And you'll see, as we go through it, the effort to describe it itself uh, uh, illustrates that it's 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 beyond description, really, beyond uh, word, beyond language, beyond uh, thought. Hmm? It's above the pay grade, if you will, of reason, hmm? our rational faculty, and the objective way of knowing very much involves uh, reason and empirical, observable uh, facts. So, I wonder it's difficult to try to understand it by that methodology. The Gita would say that, that that's folly. Hmm? And as we explained in brief, uh, the objective, if you will, way of knowing is, is hardly the only way of knowing all we really know is what? That I am. Each of us knows I am. We don't even know if there's anybody else out there. We have reason to believe there is. We'll go into that a little bit. And there is. But what we know is that I exist. That's subjective, in other words. Every other fact is, uh, is questionable. Debatable. Um, my my experiences may be debatable as to their um, veracity, but the fact that I exist and that I experience that's not debatable. What particular experiences I have, whether they're true or not, is one thing. What we're talking about is the experience that I experience. That's extraordinary. I've said before, if I were to be asked, what is the most extraordinary experience you've had in your life, I'd say it's that I experience. That's very different. What can you say about that? Matter doesn't is non-experiential by comparison. 
So, hmm. so the subjective reality is very uh, substantial. And we ended, I think, our discussion last night on by raising uh, the point, the example that there are people who have had glimpses, experiences of the transcendental nature of the self. Even without a spiritual approach to the matter, not an enduring experience, but but such a profound experience that their lives were completely transformed by it. They were forever thereafter trying to capture that, understand that. Um, Some of the even American um, uh, literates like Walt Whitman, what was that other guy's name? Tennessee's. I forget. Anyway, there's a bunch of them. And of course, from from even from a non-theistic perspective, or certainly a non-Hindu perspective, having had that experience, they gravitated towards the descriptions given in the Gita, Upanishads, and so forth about the nature of the self. So these are not uh, to be taken uh, lightly. And the method for realizing what's being described here that can't be described in full is is um, also a very serious approach to life. That's what we're involved in. Hmm? Sadhana, spiritual practice. It's very objective. One has to be very detached from um, biases and so forth, which would get in the way of objective knowing. Hmm? Detachment implies no, no bias. It can't be purchased by anyone. I was speaking with um, someone this morning about compassion. When, uh, uh, what is his name? Sutta Goswami began to speak to the sages at Daimisharanya in the Bhagavatam first. What did he do? What was the first thing he did when he began to speak to them? Praise hmm? his guru. Praised his guru. Who was his guru? Sugadev. And among other things, he said, Kurunayaha Purana Guhyam. The Guhyam, the secret of the Purana, uh, the history of Bhagwan, that means Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm? He spoke that Kurunayaha out of compassion. That means not because he needed anything, hmm? not because he was in want of anything or in lack of anything, was he moving. This is called Yadrichaya. In the Bhagavad, it means luck, good fortune, hmm? sadhu sangha. Some people are moving in the world not out of any material necessity, not driven by seeds that they have sown, and movement constitutes the reaping of the fruits. Hmm? Karma. They don't. They have not taken. They've stopped taking, so they don't owe. Hmm? So it's not off to work they go, but they play all day, hmm, is the idea. And, uh, and that play, that freedom of movement that is not under the force of karma, hmm, when that comes into our lives, then the influence of karma on us, has the, we have the opportunity to change the course hmm, by sadhu sangha. So Sukadeva is described like that. Speaker of the Bhagavatam, he came. Yadricha, he came in and and created the fortune 
of Parikshit Maharaj. Hmm. He was naked. The implication is he, he wasn't look he wasn't looking to clothe clothe his family, houses, uh, his family, feed them, or he didn't have any obligations. He wasn't even looking to clothe himself. Hmm. He had no material concerns. So he spoke it out of compassion only. That is a kind of movement hmm, out of fullness. You understand? Compassion is a movement that arises out of fullness, not out of emptiness. It's a sharing. Hmm? You can empathize with someone and you have something to share with them. Hmm? Love, by its nature, it's interesting, it's contradictory, as one would expect. <laughs> it transcends reason. Love knows no reason. So it, it works, in, in one sense, in, in two contradictory ways. Love wants to share itself. Hmm? And it wants to keep to itself, both things. It tries to share itself, and it finds, well, it can't be appreciated entirely. So it recedes back. Hmm? It has a private side, It has an ingoing nature, and it has an extrovert, outgoing. It's an introvert and an extrovert at the same time. Hmm? I'm like that, too. The influence of Sridhar Maharaj and Prabhupada. Introverted and extroverted natures. Hmm? But you understand what I'm saying about love? It wants to share. The guy falls in love. There was a, I give the example before, there was an actor named Tom Cruise. You probably heard of him. And he fell in love with somebody some years back, some younger girl or something who had idolized him in her youth. And somehow they met and they fell in love. And he was on a TV show, maybe the Oprah Winfrey show. Uh, and and he, he, he was talking about how he loved this girl and he jumped up on the couch. Hmm? I said, I, I love her. And it was like, that's weird, sit down. You know, we know you want to share it, but it's, like, it's not like appreciated here to the same extent. Hmm? So it has to recede, then become a little internalized. So, anyways, this is the nature of love. So, the fullness hmm, of Sugadev's enlightenment in, in love. Hmm? He was drawn to, for, to from the forest and the solitary life hmm? that he he sought, so as to not be distracted by the world hmm? of appearances. But Vyas, his father, had been enlightened by Narada as to the nature of bhakti. Or he had been, I should say, admonished by Narada and instructed to speak about the nature of bhakti in no uncertain terms. That's what we call the Srimad Bhagavatam. So having compiled the book, he felt, oh, my son, he could appreciate this. If only. I mean, here is something that that transcends, in a, sp- in a sense, or goes deeper within transcendence than his own transcendent experience of Atmananda, the bliss, the joy of the self, hmm, constitutes. Hmm. He, he, he was an experience of no other. Hmm. Hmm. But there was another who was consciousness, constituted and lovable. Hmm? And he was the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam Krishna. So he sent, Vyasa sent a woodcutter hmm, who would cut wood, chop wood for the, for the winter and the fire. He lived in the Himalayas. 
And he gave him some verses from the Bhagavad to sing while he was in the forest in hopes that Sukadev would hear the verses. And he knew that the heart of Sukadev was such that if he'd hear these verses, because his heart was pure, hmm, he'd immediately be attracted. There would be no necessity of their cleansing the heart first. Hmm? But, but, but so his heart would be naturally drawn and attracted to that. And he would be caused to think, why am I attracted to something when I have no attraction for anything of the world? That must be otherworldly. Hmm? And, and that, despite the fact that it's variegated and, and it involves others and so forth. So anyway, he followed the songs of the woodcutter and found himself back at his father's house. And then he learned about bhakti, hmm? about Bhagwan, about the qualities of Bhagwan that are attractive to those who have no attraction to the world. Hmm? That means, although they sound worldly, when you talk about Krishna Leela, somebody herding cows or something, it's actually otherworldly. Otherwise, how could it have attracted the heart of Sukadev, who had no worldliness in him? Hmm? This is a central point, obviously, of, of Srimad Bhagavatam to help illustrate the transcendental nature of the subject that's, that's difficult to understand. It's difficult enough to understand the soul, the jiva tattva. Hmm? But to speak of Vishnu tattva, hmm? um, the jiva, for example, has some ananda. But the Ananda Bhagwan is, is, is of a different category. And the Ananda Visrup Shakti that constitutes bhakti exceeds even that. Hmm? So, very, very extraordinary um, subject. Hmm? Much can be said about it, but it's not uh, because it's a, it's a determinate kind of uh, ecstasy, the life of Bhagwan, sort of indeterminate. In other words, it has qualities, it has form, it has movement, and so on and so forth. But it's not the form, the qualities, and movement that are illusory, like we experience in this world. And when we move away from those, well, we move towards some some quiet position, some formless, quiet, qualityless, peaceful position. That's what Sukadeva was resting in that. He was resting in the experience of, of the basic ideas of the Atma given in the Gita, but suddenly he was drawn hmm, beyond that. Hmm. So bhakti is an, is an addition, so to speak. It's not the right of the soul. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing. Hmm. It's not inherent, if you will, in the Atma. There's nowhere it said and it's full of bhakti in, in the sacred texts. So, so we're going to hear a little bit from the Gita about the nature of the self, and and you can't really wrap your head around this. As I say, it's above the pay grade of our intellect. Hmm? There's no and there's no reason, biologically speaking, let's say from a from a Darwinian evolutionary point of view, there's no reason why we should even be self-aware. How does that help us exist? It brings our existence into question. Hmm? You understand? It is thought in Darwinian evolution that that species adapt and acquire certain qualities and abilities for the purpose of surviving. Hmm? Right? So 
in human life, what we find is while there is consciousness in the sense of awareness and perception, obviously in many species of life, you know, if, if you if you poke the cow, she goes moo. If you don't milk her right, she's going to kick you. So, obviously, there's some awareness there. There's some perception, right? But self-perception is is much more developed in human society. I am. I am, and I am distinct from others. It's also the thought. I am self-awareness, and so what 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 becomes of that is is what I often say is this more complicated kind of questions like why, what does that mean that I am, hmm? and this becomes a big headache, so to speak, trying to figure this out. Arguably, my point here is that that. Uh, development in human form of life of self-awareness it has nothing to do with the survival of our species. In fact, it often leads to suicide. Hmm? Hmm? Or philosophical suicide. Hmm? Like some of the existentialist philosophers. I think Camus actually went, you know, lived his, walked his talk, so to speak. And uh, you know he was an existentialist and said I don't really exist and he committed suicide and, and uh, then there's the there's the Vedanta form of suicide and, yeah and so the way to Vedanta from our perspective and so forth so how is it preserving the species self awareness hmm? and how prominent is it in human society it's pretty prominent <laughs> it's the whole thing it's the whole you know. It's what makes us human. So, so arguably, it's not a. It's not. It has nothing to do with biology. And of course, that's the argument of the Gita. And it begins there. It begins by Krishna begins by differentiating the soul from himself, the atma from himself, so that there can be worship, and the atma from the body, the biological, psychological complex, body and mind complex. The Atma is different, and the self-awareness that we speak about it it transcends brain, it transcends mind. Also, there's a lower level of self-awareness, self-identification. We call hunkar, which is, means eye-making. It's a made-up eye. It's a manufactured eye that at one point did not exist, and if at one point it did not exist, then at another point, it will not exist. I mean, what's born, Krishna says here in the Gita, will die. Hmm? So that hunkar is that is a false personality, false self. But there's a real self, an overarching self. I exist. Hmm? I've said before that I am American, I am Indian, I am black, I am white, I am male, I am female. That is a hunkar. But I am, that's not a hunkar. Hmm? That I I I exist. Subje- I, I have the subjective experience that I exist. Hmm? So, so there's a difference between one atma and another, eh, in the atmas and Bhagawan and the body. So Krishna begins by talking about the differences. He says, I haven't quoted these and cited these in a long time. These are the beginning verses. 
we used to learn in the Gita. Natve vavam jatu nasham, natve natvam neme janadipaha. Nachavana babishami, sarvivaya matapuman. Param. Never was there a time when I did not exist, nor you, nor all of these kings, nor shall any of us cease to exist in the future. So Krishna's speaking here. He says, I have always existed. Arjun, you have always existed. All these other kings in the battlefield here that are assembled, they've always existed. And they will always exist. They always have existed. They exist now. And they will always exist. So all of the Vaishnava charges, beginning with Ramanuja, who have commented on the Gita, followed by our Gaudiya Acharyas, Baldi Bidibhushan, um, uh, and uh, Vishwanachakavati Thakur of ancient times, and their followers in the Shifla succession, following in their line of um, scriptural reasoning, Shastra Yukti, have uh, commented on this verse along these lines, that what Krishna is establishing here first about the Atma hmm, is that it is individual. Hmm? He, someone may say, well, he's speaking about the individuality. He's speaking, we all exist, but not in terms of our individuality, as Bhakta Bob and Bhakta Fred and Bhakti Mary and so forth. Hmm? As, as, as this, this, these, uh, or better, I should say, as, you know, I am this or that. I am American, I am Indian, I am black, white, I am male, female. These identities, I'm a king. Hmm? I'm a warrior, case of Arjun, a prince, a king, and the others assembled. He's speaking that we all exist, of course, that individuality doesn't exist. That will go away. But we all exist. We've always has, have existed. We always will exist. And we're all one. Hmm. But that's certainly a stretch. <laughs> it's not what he's saying here. And he uses himself as an example. Hmm. And Krishna's existence has nothing to do with the conditioned existence. In other words, Krishna's identity has nothing to do with the ahankar, the made-up identity of kings. For example, I'm a king. Next life, you could be a pauper, right? A slave. Which are you? Those are just appearances. But Krishna's existence is not an appearance. He's Bhagwan. God is saying, I have always existed. I will always exist. You always exist. You will always exist. And similarly with the others. He's talking about the eternal individuality, if you will, of all Atmas. Now, I said before that we know that we exist, just rationally speaking. Um, we don't know that anybody else exists. We see certain behaviors in people which are similar to ours, which lead us to believe that they must be experiencing the same things we're experiencing. Hmm? We listen to music and we have a subjective experience of it, like, I really like that beat. And so we kind of go like this, you know. And then we see somebody else doing the same thing, so we can conjecture, well, I have a certain behavior that corresponds with it, that's, that's physical, that corresponds with a sub- subjective, which course observable, which corresponds with a subjective experience. Hmm? So when I see in another the objective symptoms, 
that are similar to mine, I logically conclude that they're having the same subjective experience as me. So there are some modern arguments like this hmm, for the idea that consciousness proper hmm, is individual. And we, this point is being made here in the Gita as well. From more of a, uh, well, an, an, another way to think about it is that we are units of subjective individual experience. We each have individual experience of the world. It's unique. Hmm? Hmm. So that means to say we have unique experience of existence, each of us. Hmm? So we're all individuals. There's a philosopher some centuries back from maybe a Jesuit. I think his name was Leibniz who posited something like this, similar to the Gita. Hmm? Idea, monads, like atomic particles of consciousness. So we are. This is the idea given in the Gita. Now the individuality of each atma, each jivatma, hmm? that may be an attractive idea. And I say, each of us is an individual. We, we, we may like that. Yeah, I like that. Especially in the Western society, we like that. Hmm? I saw a poster the other day, and it was a shoes. It was a it was first shoes selling shoes. It was a while back. I think it was in a shoe store, and I saw this poster, and the poster had footprints, just going off, you know, your own way, and it was an advertisement for shoes which was obviously uh, playing into the, the Western psychology. You, you make your own way, individuality, you know. Go your own way, so to speak. Um, um, there's a good side of that, too. I mean, we do have to go the spiritual way. We may have to go alone. In Bhakti, of course, we can have friends. We can go with others. That's good. Um, but they may be fewer than... <laughs> We would have thought we might want a more social approach, but there may be only a few people really interested in the subject. So, at any rate, when we say that the Atma is individual, we may tend to think, yes, I'm an individual and I have these various qualities and so forth, and I like the idea that I'm an individual. But we're, in this instance, then we're conflating the Ahankar, the made up I and the individuality that arises out of that with the individuality of the jiva. Hmm? Because that's full of qualities. What makes me different from you is that I may think it's warm in here, you may think it's cold in here. Hmm? You may think it's a good day, I may think it's a bad day. Hmm? You may think the color is too bright, I may think it's too, it's too cold too hot, too cold, and so forth. So all this individuality, this is all hunkar, this is all the world of our mind by which we perceive goods and bads, happies and sads, based on sense perception, our mind makes decisions about them. I like this, I don't like that, sankalpa, and the personality arises. Hunkar, hmm? it's made up of all these desires, perceptions, perceptions, and a determination about the perceptions that the mind makes, basically accepting or rejecting it's good or it's bad, and all these goods or bads are just relative to that. Hmm? Do you understand? 
It's totally relative to our senses and our, our mind, the filters through which we're perceiving and uh, experiencing the nature of being. And the filters are different. Hmm? So that individuality should not be conflated with the individuality of the jiva that's being discussed here. Hmm? We will not find in the description each jiva has different qualities, some like this, some like that, some like one thing, some like another thing, some are fat, some are thin. It's not going to be like that. The way we are um, individuals and different from others, materially speaking, is very different from what's being spoken about here in the Gita on this um, first point here, the individuality of the jiva. The individuality idea of the jiva is that because each jiva is an individual, it means each one can have a relationship with Bhagwan. You can have differences, spiritually speaking, in the leela and a personality hmm, that's different from another's and so forth, but that is a, that is a result of nurture. Hmm? It corresponds with our nature. Hmm? That is an environment that will nurture our nature that has is such that it has the capacity to love our nature. Given the spiritual environment, it will love Krishna. It will have a form that corresponds with that love and it will have preferences and, and so forth, all of which are pleasing to Krishna, but may be different from your another's preferences and so forth. So there's full personality in the spiritual world hmm? and individuality in that sense. But to arrive at that, the whole material individuality that we may conflate with the idea that the jiva is an individual, that has to be done away with. That's the whole, that's the chaita darpana marginum. That hmm? has to be, I would want to say, replaced. Our likes and dislikes in sadhana have to start to become in connection with the service to Bhagwan. Hmm? When our hearts are completely given in sadhana, to Krishna. Hmm? Then at some point we may think, I would like to dress him in a blue color hmm? and it will have a spiritual color to that, that kind of liking. Hmm? So it will start to come in the sadhaka day, how can it not? Hmm? It will start to manifest at a certain point. Therefore the guru can see certain people, oh they've been doing this before and certain aspects of them are actually spiritual. Certain of their qualities may actually be spiritual rather than just material. Hmm? So this is very subtle, of course, but the point being that as the as in our sadhaka day, our spiritual uh, practitioner's body, we actually apply ourselves, hmm, our practitioner's body, which means that our senses are engaged spiritually in relation to spiritual sense objects. I listen to the songs about Krishna. Hmm? I read the books about Krishna. I taste the food offered to Krishna. Hmm? Then my material personnel, my material differences, they're going to, I'm, my differences are going to rise out of what's favorable for bhakti, what's not favorable for bhakti, my goods and bads, my happies and my sads. Hmm? And as my sadhaka day becomes spiritualized, hmm, and the material aspect of it, which is a result of senses being in touch with material sense objects for materially conceived purposes is 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 
disassembled, hmm? deconstructed, and so forth, then her spiritual identity will arise. Hmm? But again, it involves the destruction or the deconstruction, I should say, deconstruction of the material individuality. So that should not be conflated with the idea here that each soul is individual. Hmm. Individual in another way. The jivas are all the same, but they're all individual. Hmm. You could have a thousand atoms. Each one is an atom. Hmm. They're all different. But they all have the same ingredients. Hmm? Now, when those ingredients are fully, uh, some of those ingredients are such that they have the capacity to be nurtured, hmm? which requires a certain environment. So when the environment of bhakti nurtures this, the atomic souls, hmm? then individuality will manifest hmm, on the other side. Hmm, follow? Hmm. Each jiva is a, is a unit of will, agency. Hmm. So it will respond to the nurturing. Hmm. Will means free. So uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a potential. You see there's, a, there's an individuality that's inherent in this sense. So also it has will. Will is unpredictable. Will is free. Do you understand? Choice. So, therefore, everyone's individual in that sense. Hmm? They can make different choices, given different opportunities that are presented to them. Hmm? But in another sense, in a large sense, they're the same. But how they will respond to different environments, then that will be unpredictable, so to speak. Hmm? Some may be approached by bhakti and reject bhakti. It's possible. Hmm? They say, Krishna wants you to want to love him. So there's kind of a, 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 a free will and determinism are somehow compatible with one another. Hmm? Nothing moves without the will of God, it said. The will of God is that I would, I would like you to, to want, I want you to want to love me. You see, so... So, there's some free will and there's some determinism at at the same time. So these are complex, you know, it's good to think about a little bit, but not too much. If we can speak about it such a way, I should practice this, and I can can not talk about it either, but know it. (laughs) Try to talk about it, and uh, it's kind of, uh, gives you a headache in one sense, but, but, but something worth it's it's revealing the limits of reason, the limits of language, and and so forth. But first point here: soul is in is individual. Hmm? That means there is no point in which the atma, the jivatma, is kind of has a fusion, and all it's all one soul. It's only one soul. Hmm? There's another philosophy, another form of Vedanta, which has this idea that the individuality of the jiva is just based on its material conditioning. Remove the material conditioning, and there's one soul. If there's one only, then there's no love. Hmm? Love requires two. So one should know that 
about that kind of philosophy. Its, its end is, is some kind of a knowing, some kind of awareness. But um, it's very uh, static, if you will, compared to the idea of bhakti, which is what uh, is more supportable from these, this first-hand uh, reporting, if you will, of the Gita as to the nature of the jiva, atma, its nature, its potential with the proper... Uh, nurture. So there's no, this is the point he's making to me, there's no fusing of all these souls together. They're always individual. They will always be individual. You're Jiva Tattva, and that's what you are, and you will always be Jiva Tattva. You can be a Jiva Tattva realizing your full potential or not. So he goes on, he says, not only are they all individuals, but he says, what? Mm-hmm. He says, he says, that which is subject to change <coughs> is not eternal or ultimately real. That which is real is neither temporary nor subject to change. It cannot be destroyed. This is the conclusion of the seers of truth reached at, reached after deliberating on both. So this is the subjective methodology that said well, by which they've arrived at these kind of conclusions and this reporting is being given to us here. If we have faith in them, then in this exciting idea, then we obviously will pursue it. So here he says what? Hmm? This individual monad, spiritual atom, the jivas, atoms, the jivas, the jivatmas, hmm? um, their nature is that they're real, and the implication of that is that they're not subject to change. In contrast, the body is subject to change. We ended on this point last night, I think, with your question. This means um, sat. Sat means real. Real means it's not an appearance. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But at one point it did not exist. Now it seems to be existing. And now it's gone. Which is the nature of all material phenomena. Hmm? Um, it undergoes these changes of, let us say, appearance and disappearance. Or birth. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. Hmm? So when it says that the jiva is changeless, it means it has no beginning, has no middle, has no end. Hmm? It always it was, it always will be. It's not like the appearances of the world. It's the ever-observing factor. It's the kind of observing factor of the ever-changing material phenomena. We're witnessing the things coming and going. Thoughts coming and going. Someone's witnessing them, if he's paying attention. So not subject to change. Thought means this. It doesn't undergo the transformations that matter undergoes, that the body undergoes. And in, that's what it means when it says it's real. It's not just an appearance. It's real. So real means it doesn't undergo such transformations. It doesn't appear at some time and disappear at some time. Therefore, it means it's eternal. It's an eternal unit of experiential existence. I've said before that if, ma- if consciousness is transcendent to matter, if it can't be reduced to matter, then 
the implication of that is that it cannot be constrained by time and space, which all material things are. Hmm? And if it's not reducible to matter and therefore not, thereby not constrained by time and space, then, well, it's eternal. It has no beginning. It has no end. This is why knowing the self is the end of all troubles, hmm? all anxieties, all fear. Hmm? Fear is all based on the, the, the perception that I've got to watch my back. Something could happen. Hmm? It's the way of the world, so to speak. It's the way of the ahankar. It's a made-up eye. It's a fiction eye. And, it can, and we're trying to maintain it. And we can't. That's the struggle for existence. You won't win that struggle. Hmm? They have to go about it in an entirely different way. If you want to win, you have to go within hmm? to that which is has no birth, has no death, and so on and so forth. So this is sat. This is, this is, this is the main quality that Krishna will... Uh, describe here in this section sat and a little bit the chit aspect of the atma continuing with this line of reasoning then there's some repetition here in the Gita with different words that have similar meanings for the sake of emphasis and it's also your repetition that you find here is also saying to us what can I say about it hmm? most of these um uh, adjectives that describe the soul are have a negative content. It can't be destroyed. Hmm. Hmm. What did he use here? His Abhinashi tutadduti yena sarvam idam tatam vinasham abhyasyasya nakaschit karta maharti. You should know that which pervades all to be indestructible. It's indestructible. It's a kind of a negative. It's all pervading. I guess that's kind of positive, but it's kind of vague. <laughs> it's all pervading. It's it's in it's it's indestructible. No one can bring about the destruction of the imperishable self. It's imperishable. It's indestructible. This is helps us understand because there are things that are perishable. There are things that are indestructible. We know that. We experience that. So it's trying to explain it by giving us a frame of reference. It's within our own experience. Hmm? It's not like anything out there, all of which are perishable, destructible, hmm? all of which are in one place, but not everywhere at the same time. Hmm? Here he says that it's... That it's, it's, it's um, hmm? It pervades all. Hmm? That has to be explained. He'll go on to explain. Antamanti me deha, nityoshyokta sharirina, anashino pramaya satasmat yujasya bharata. Only the bodies of the inhabited by the bodies inhabited by the eternal, indestructible, and immeasurable soul are said to be subject to destruction. Therefore, Arjun, you should go ahead and perform your sadhana. Is what he says basically. Do your sadhana. Don't let anything get in the way of that. Here the context is to fight, but it really means do your sadhana. Mm. Uh, here, what? Krishna is also saying, Abhinashi. Mm. Aprameyasya. Mm. He says, it is indestructible, it is imperishable, it is 
all pervading throughout the body. Hmm? When he says that it's immeasurable and all pervading, these are contradictory. How can you be immeasurable? Well, unmeasurable is what it means. Uh, it means small. Hmm? Sometimes it's translated, it's small. In the 11th canto of Bhagavatam, Guru Gita Krishna says, um, of small things, I am the jiva. Hmm? Small is also here a way um, of saying, a way of saying that it's, in, it's individual, it's small. It, 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 it can't be measured, but still it has a size. It can't be seen, it's invisible to material senses, but it has a size. Hmm? Examples are given to say that it's small, one ten thousand the size of the tip of a hair, but it's, it's smaller than that. It can't be, it can't be measured, hmm? um, but it has a size. It means it's individual. Hmm? But it pervades, at the same time, the body. Hmm? This is in one sense speaking about the chit aspect of the jiva, that it's conscious, that it's knowledge. Hmm? Example, sometimes is given, I've given before of the light. The light is intelligent and it has intelligence. That means it's knowledge and it has a quality of knowledge. That means it's luminous. These are different words that are used. Hmm? All minions trying to trying to get at the same thing. It's luminous, and it has the power of illumination. That means it itself is is illumined. We don't need a light to see the light. Hmm? It's self luminous, and it illuminates other things that are not luminous in themselves. Hmm? You follow? That means. The Atma is knowledge and it has knowledge, or it's consciousness, consciousness and it has consciousness. Hmm? Sometimes we talk of consciousness just as perception. I'm more conscious, I'm more aware, I'm more perceptive. This is a quality of the Atma. Hmm? It is consciousness, that's abstract. It is knowledge. Hmm? You see, knowledge is, is illuminating, right? Aha! So the, the, we, we, we compare it to the lights went on. Hmm? Hmm? So the Atma is a light that's on. <laughs> it's, it is knowledge. Hmm? That's kind of weird because we don't, we don't think of it like knowledge is a, an entity, so to speak. Hmm? It is knowledge hmm? because it's luminous, hmm? self-luminous. And it has the capacity to illuminate other things. It means it also it has the capacity to perceive, to feel, to be conscious, to be aware of other things, by which those things take on a life, so to speak, because consciousness identifies with it and animates it, thereby from its own perspective, gives it meaning and value and so forth. So, the idea here is that the atma is located, as it's thought, in the heart, which is kind of an example because the heart. Is, is, is central, and everything is connected to the heart, so to speak. So the jiva is local, but it pervades the whole body. 
by consciousness. It's like a light. It's in one place, but it pervades the body by its luminosity. So, example is given later in the Gita, in the 13th chapter, that the Atma is like, in relation to the body, is like the sun in relation to the world. The sun's in one place, but it lights the whole world. So the consciousness is local, it is individual, as we're describing, but at the same time, it has a quality. You see, in Advaita Vedanta, the soul is, is, doesn't have the quality of knowledge. This is their thought. It has no qualities. But the Gita is saying, that, as we're explaining, it has a quality of knowledge. So not only is it knowledge, but it has the quality of knowledge and it can illuminate other things. And, and so it, here he's maintaining the idea that it's an individu- individual, hmm? as he began. He said that it's sat, it exists, doesn't undergo the transformations of birth and death, it's not here today and gone tomorrow. And it is also a unit of knowledge. It's individual, it's sat, and it's chit, is more or less what he's been saying here in, in different ways, with different words, mostly words that are used to describe things of this world, and by way of saying it's different from all of those things. It's not a thing, for that matter. Hmm? He says uh, that <coughs> it is indestructible, eternal, birthless, imperishable. It cannot be perceived by weapon, uh, uh, pierced by weapons, burned by fire, moistened by water, withered by wind, which all things are subject to. Even drops of water wither away the stone. These are two. Extremes, right? The stone and the water. Stone has a powerful kind of, you know, kind of connotation and power. Of big stone, a big rock. But water is not like that. But it's more. It can drops of water can wither away the stone. All things perishable in this world. Um, so, no, can't be pierced by weapons, can't be burned by fire, can't be moistened by water, withered by wind. And it is indivisible. Again, it's individuality. Uh, it's unburnable, insoluble, can't be dried up. It can't be drowned, it can't be dried. It's eternal, all-pervading, changeless, unmoving, primeval. All-pervading also means that it, that, it, that, it, that it can exist in all situations, materially speaking. I've given this example before, that in human society, we find that humans have the interest in living in all conditions, so to speak. They have the, well, we don't find a bird wants to check out the bottom of the ocean. We don't find that the, the whales you know, want to fly in the sky, like the birds. They don't wonder about that. They're confined by their particular uh, biological complex that they find themselves in, and they're satisfied with it. Hmm? Or they don't wonder beyond it. We do. Hmm. We want to fly to the moon. Hmm? We want to go to the bottom of the ocean. We want to try everything. We want to go everywhere. Hmm? 
Because what's happening in human life is this, this self that has the capacity to live in any condition is rising, coming to the fore. And it's speaking to us as if we could do anything. We could, be, we could exist in anything. We, 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 should, we won't die. It's possible that we won't die. It's true, you won't, as far as the Atma is. But then we conflate the Atma with the body, and then we try to do all the things that the Atma can do with the body. By extending the body, by, by making glasses and microscopes and telescopes to go small and look, look far and, and uh, to create airplanes to go to, to fly, to imitate the birds and their experience and submarines to imitate the, the fishes and so forth and so many examples. So, really, this is the self that, that is Sarvagata that can exist in any condition. Hmm? Is speaking to us, but we're not translating it. We don't have good guidance to translate that self is speaking and the self is different from the body. So we, we try to do what the self can do and does and is. We try to be that in a body. This is the confusion of human society. So what you want, you can have. Indeed, you are that. You want to be pleasured, you want to be strong, you want to to, to know your unit of knowing, your unit of knowledge. You exist. You are a unit of, of, of Ananda. Hmm? Atomic Ananda. Atomic knowing. Atomic being. Hmm? So this is the unique kind of situation, again, that human life is. Human life is, we are uh, kind of like uh, homo mysticus. Hmm? There's a term... <laughs> Homo mysticus, that's what we're about. The whole, the whole of the human will not be known, realized, appreciated, activated, um, experienced until the mystical side is experienced, which will put the whole thing in perspective. Hmm? And, and it, it, yeah, obviously it is. Human life is about uncovering the mystery that life is. No one else is trying to figure out the mystery. Huh? I mean, we're so much into it that we even depict animals like that, you know, in cartoons, and they're thinking about it, you know, and so forth. So, this is the whole preoccupation of, of humanity to understand the mystery. And the mystery is you. You are mysterious. You are mystical. It means you transcend reason. And we keep trying to reduce the mystical reality that we are that transcends reason and resolves contradictions that reason cannot to, to something reasonable and grab it, harness it with our, with our, with our reasoning. Hmm? And it it's, keeps eluding us. And we make sophisticated theories, how it must be like this, and they're all conjectures and so forth based on interpretations of of data of what we we think the world is like from 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 the uh, 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 observation and so forth and controlled uh, in, in environments, but then we make this leap and we keep trying to reduce. It's 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 a it's a it's a de, it's it's a really um, it's counterproductive. You could be hmm, everything that it is. Let go of reasoning, the need to control. That's what it's about. The need to control, to measure, to, to bring it in my grasp. Hmm? It's difficult to let go of. We're said to be reasonable animals, rational animals. It just marks us from the, from the other species. But 
how to use the reasoning to go beyond its limits. This is the idea of the Gita. So there is a mystical side to humanity. And it's pursuing that. What is, what is the mystery? That we ourselves are. You are the mystery. It means you transcend reason. That is so nice to know. Reason is so troublesome and, and uh, so inconclusive. <laughs> uh, there's always you know, another reasoning that can be put forward and, and so on. So the Gita, it's just trying, and this is the whole idea, trying to speak in such a way that someone would be motivated to, 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 to know in a way that reason cannot. Hmm. To know, to, to know in a way, to transcend the limits of reason, hmm? and and be what you are, enter into the full reality of what humanity is and its potential. And of course, this is even without talking about bhakti. Of course, some bhakti is required to do that. Ultimately, that's part of the, the mystery. Bhagavan is never out of the picture. But, but, um, but this is this is the real, uh, really what. He, the purpose, arguably, the purpose of human life. But if we look, we see humans are all looking for this to solve the mystery. And the Gita says, "You are the mystery." Hmm? And and <coughs> and again, that self-awareness, that these why questions, they have nothing to do with biology. Hmm? Why am I has nothing to do with with how I will preserve myself. Hmm? These are all questions coming from the subjective world. They're the most, they're the meaningful questions, the deepest questions, the, the questions that humanity, as much as it's human, is preoccupied with. The extent to which it's not preoccupied with these questions, it's in the Bhag- language of the Bhagavatam, dvipada pashu, a two-legged animal only. Hmm? In pursuance of this, this is this is what we read the Bhagavatam's definition of humanity. An evolved being, in pursuit of the mystery that 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 I am, there's a, there's a place where these contradictions don't. They only appear in the mind. They're resolved beyond beyond the mind, beyond reasoning. And so, anyway, he says what. Uh, uh, it's invisible. It's inconceivable. It's unchangeable. Hmm? <coughs> Invisible to the senses. Hmm? It's inconceivable. I mean, just that it's inconceivable. That just doesn't satisfy your intellect. It's inconceivable. Hmm? But there's nothing, again, uh, biologically, from the point of view of, of Darwinian evolution, there's nothing that says that we should be able to understand hmm, everything. I mean, we if we take it for granted that ants don't understand what we understand. Hmm? We go back to Flatland, which we watched the other night. Hmm? There's there, they, he pop, uh, the, the two-dimensional world is called Flatland, and then A Square, who was the star of the show, he went into three-dimensional world. There was no words to explain that. There was no. Um, it was be above the pay grade of the two-dimensional world. You can't stay in the two-dimensional world and understand a three-dimensional world. Hmm. 
So, we accept that other species of life have certain limitations on them in terms of their capacity to understand the nature of being and the world. We readily accept that, right? We don't think that, that, that an ant is going to become enlightened. Hmm? But we have this sense that humans could know everything. But there's nothing biologically that says that we should. Why don't we have restrictions like any other biological species and have a limited sphere of which what we can know, so to speak, about the world? Hmm? So the idea that we, as a human only, I mean, as a, I'm saying as a biological organism, that we should know everything. There's nothing biologically that mandates that. It would, it, 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 there's, no, there's no reason for that. So if we are to know, it's, 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 it's not because of our biology. So he says that what? That he concludes with, you know, as charge of what? Yeah. Paschati, Kastyadenam, as charjabad, bodhati, tataibachanya, as charjabad, chainam, anyasunoti, shut vapi enam veda, nachaibakaschit. He says, Some see the self as being a wonder, others proclaim it a wonder, while still others hear of it as a wonder, yet even after hearing about it, cannot fathom it. Hmm? He says, This is just, it's amazing. Hmm? The self is amazing. It's what can you say? It was when you say, what "Was it like it was amazing?" It means like you can't talk about it. It's just, it was amazing. You've got to see it for yourself. I can't. We say this sometimes about certain material experiences. It was just amazing, and then we, you know, we try to talk about it. We say, "You got to, you got to go." And and the, and the other person thinks, "I got to see that." That's uh, contagious, like that. Hmm? So this is how he concludes this first initial discussion of the Atma in which he's revealed that the Atma is an individual, it's sat, and it's jit. He hasn't talked about its ananda, which is an interesting topic. Hmm? It does come up later in the 18th chapter, Atmananda, the, the bliss of the self. Hmm? So we'll have to discuss that at some point. Any questions tonight? Yes. There is... I've heard that there's different relationships that each jiva soul has with Krishna, like in neutrality or yeah. as a lover, etc. Um, I've never heard anybody talk about if the soul can be a child of Krishna in the spiritual sky. Yeah, it's possible. Krishna has sons in Dwarka. It's a kind of dasya. Rasa. Hmm. Dasya means servitude. So there's a kind of servitude in, 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 in which uh, the jivas experience Krishna as their nourisher, hmm. like parent. In Dwarka, for example, he has so many sons. So it's a, it's a division within um, Dasya Rasa. We don't find it in the Brajalila in, in Vrindavan, but in, in Dwarka we find it. Hmm. It's not something that... There, and there, yes, there are, the, you know, the, the, the Atma, the Jiva, can potentially, uh, by nurture, given its nature, it has the capacity to be nurtured 
and certain aspects of itself, its 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 agency, its being a doer, obviously requires an environment for it to do anything. So that's the environment is part of the is it means nurture. You understand? Environment is a, is a nurturing element. So for the jiva to be a doer, well, it requires an environment to do something in, right? So it's a doer, but. Only when the world manifests, so to speak, from susupti, from the deep sleep of Vishnu, can it be a doer, or when it enters into bhakti, can it be a doer with a bhakti environment, and an apprehender. Well, we were talking about it can apprehend, it can know. It has. There have to be things to know. There has to be that means that means it requires an environment to have qualitative experiences requires um, an environment. And all of these things constitute being a person. Hmm? So being a person is has obviously something to do with nature and nurture. What kind of person you are will, to some extent, depend upon your environment. Right? Hmm? So with the jiva, it's called tatasta. It means it, 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 can, it lives in one environment or another. Material environment or the spiritual environment, and relative to the environment it's in, it will have a personality. The one that's that is constructed as a result of associating with the material environment is like the whole material world here today and gone tomorrow. The one that arises out of um, the bhakti environment as of eternal nature, it has no beginning because it's a bhava. Hmm? Like Shanta, Sakya, Dasya, Vatsalya, Madhurya, and they're eternally existing, hmm? and they are they are they are devotees that are embodiments of those, hmm? and so it's eternally existing, and it can come within us, hmm? and so and it has shape and so forth. So, so, so the jiva can potentially experience or be any one of those rasas. But that will depend upon the environment. And the environment is a bhakti environment, and that environment comes to us through a sampradaya. So different sampradayas provide different environments for the jiva hmm? to uh, spiritual environments, hmm? like Vaikuntha environments, in the Madhva Sampradaya and the Ramanuja Sampradaya. We're the Gaudiya Sampradaya, so there are certain environments we find. There are certain opportunities that are being provided. We find Sakya Rasa, we find Madhurya Rasa in Gaudiya Sampradaya. Hmm? So, given this nurture from this Sampradaya, then the jiva can apprehend, can be a doer, can be have qualitative experiences of Sakya Rasa, of Madhuri Rasa, hmm? personally. Do you follow? So, but there is, yeah, there is that that uh, form of Dasi Rasa. Hmm? And there are some, some lineages that teach uh, Vaidhi Bhakti and Dasi Bhakti, and maybe you can attain it there. What else? Yes. 
much in the subject of evolution, in the chapter where he's describing the planet Rahu, the idea of planet Rahu. He's saying that the, the, the sages, they could see consciousness everywhere, even in wood or glass. I don't really understand that that much. And in what? They could see consciousness every, uh, in everything. What he means is, to, you know, go ahead, your question. And also there is this idea of um, the shadow stage of consciousness. I think it's called Chidabas. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult for me to understand this uh, idea. Mm-hmm. What he means is that the sages could see consciousness, that they personified everything, hmm? so to speak. That means that they perceive that behind everything is consciousness, hmm? that matter moves and is alive and so forth because of consciousness. So, and uh, in a way of kind of saying that, they would speak about the world poetically and personify everything. Hmm? And um, so, consciousness behind everything, behind all, behind all the consciousness is alive, and and uh, and you know we don't want to believe in those because we think it's just it just it just it just matter. You're making it alive. Hmm? But he's really saying that no, the only reason it has meaning, value, and appears to be the way it is is because of consciousness. Consciousness causes the whole world to move and 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 and, uh, and manifest and so forth with the glancing of the Vishnu, the ideas. So consciousness is in, injected in matter, and matter then starts to move and take shape and form. So there's consciousness behind it. In the modern society, we think, well, you know, why have to, you know. You know Mr. Sun, Mrs. River, you know, or, or whatever, you know, um, this god or goddess or that, and it's all just a, a uh, imaginary, superstitious kind of fairies and and uh, hobbits and type of a, you know, idea. No, it's a way of saying consciousness is behind everything. Hmm. And so, otherwise, the Chittabhas is, I think, Shita uh, Marshall used the term to speak about consciousness expanding from, uh, awakening from Susupti of Vishnu and starting to manifest in the world hmm? and its individuality based on karma from the previous life starting to come to arrest it again and distinguish it from other jivas. And it's it's kind of a, a shadow if you will, of its of its being fully aware of itself mm. in material life. Mm. That's its condition. Mm. What else? All right, we stop this. Shrimad Bhagavad Gita Jai.